Welcome back to our series through the book of Hebrews. And this morning we'll continue looking at chapter 11, which has often been referred to as the Bible's roll call of faith. It's really kind of neat that in one succinct chapter we find, you know, a brief summary of so many of the heroes of our faith, the biblical heroes. People God absolutely sets up here as examples for all of us, particularly in the area of faith. This will be actually the third sermon on this chapter, but before I pick it up where we left off, let's go ahead and read the whole chapter once more. We never waste time simply reading through Scripture. Amen? So let's read through this. It is a lengthy passage. Let's read through it, uh, and then we'll dive in. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks." By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead, at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourging, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. All right. There's a lot there. (laughs) I spent uh, one Sunday explaining faith, mostly from the first couple of verses in verse 6, and then I spent one Sunday on these men and women, our examples of faith. So today will be the second Sunday on that. But let's review what we've learned so far. As I mentioned, a careful examination of each of these amazing men and women uh, might take years. So instead of uh, I'm pulling out principles that we can learn from them rather than that. And we begin uh, with Abel and Enoch, from whom we learned, number one, that people, by the way, there's a place in your uh, listening guide where you can Put these down and then you'll have them. Uh, People who live out their faith please God in their worship. In the Genesis account of Cain and Abel, we learn that only Abel's offering of worship pleased God. And I showed you uh, how how the real difference in his worship was faith. Uh, Even faith in a future Messiah who would give his life, be the sacrifice for our sins. And then from verse 5 we noted that Enoch also pleased God with his faith so much that God took him right up into that perfect and perpetual worship of heaven. Verse 6 tells us that without faith it's impossible to please God because it's only by faith that we can have a relationship with Him since He's unseen. But synthesizing all of this around the fact that bringing pleasure to God is a solid definition of worship, the principle comes clear. People who live out their faith please God in their worship. Secondly, from the examples of Noah, Rahab and Daniel, we learned that people who live out their faith receive salvation. There is that eternal kind of salvation which is given by grace through our faith decision to trust in God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. But there's also a more temporal kind of salvation which often comes to those who have faith. The Lord loves to save those who believe. Noah, Rahab, and Daniel trusted in God through some pretty scary stuff, and by their faith they were saved from untimely deaths. Ultimately, one way or another, both at certain points in life and certainly at the end of life, God loves to save those who put their trust in Him. 
Thirdly, from Abraham and others we learned that people who live out their faith maintain eternal perspective. According to verses 10, 15, and 16, people of faith are looking for a city not made with hands, a city whose designer and builder is God, an undiscovered country not represented by flag or government, but rather by the faith of those who believe. This is not to say that our present country or of residence, uh, our earthly citizenship mean nothing or that it does not matter. But nonetheless, we should take careful note that our spiritual forebears were always looking first and foremost toward the eternal kingdom, not to whatever they could claim, hold on to, or build up for themselves here on earth. Everything they did and everything they thought on earth was permeated by the perspective that this short life is only the beginning a shadow of the eternal life to come. Heroes of faith in God, both then and now, put His kingdom and His plans first, and in this they find the strength to overcome the trials of life. Fourth, from Abraham we also learned that people who live out their faith obey difficult commands. Recall the scene where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac, And as I mentioned that week, God never intended for him to go through with it, but was testing Abraham to see how far his allegiance would go. Tests like these separate genuine faith from a a counterfeit faith. And I will add that according to the pattern we see in Scripture, God tests further those in whom he sees greater faith. So while I want to be a man of great faith, I must also remember that it is only in the difficult commands that I find out if I am truly that person, or if I am only fooling myself, perhaps playing some kind of self-righteous, religious, gratifying game that's more about impressions than reality. People who live out their faith obey difficult commands, and they find God waiting on the other side of obedience. Today, we're going to continue with three more principles exemplified by the faith-filled But before we do, let me address those who think they can bail out of any of this. Oh, you you, you thought I didn't know how how you think sometimes. You thought I didn't know that sometimes you pretend I'm only preaching to super saints, uh, among whom you would not endeavor to be counted. We live in a time and in a culture where somehow many people have been persuaded that it's possible to decide to be a mediocre Christian. Listen to me, if you think of thoughts like these principles are for people who want to be superhero Christians, not me, then you have believed a lie. What lie? The lie that there is such a thing as easy or casual Christianity. I'm here to tell you there is no such thing. Read the New Testament and you won't find a single reason to think that half-hearted Christianity is even possible. Biblically, you won't find a smaller remnant of devoted Christians surrounded by a larger group of less devoted Christians. No, in the Bible, the remnant are the Christians, and the rest are chaff. The very idea that you could consciously choose to settle for less than these faith principles, because you don't want to go that far with your faith, your religion because it just sounds too hard, is completely foreign to the Christianity preached by Christ and His disciples. There is simply no such thing as half-hearted faith in God. If it is half-hearted or with reservation or caveats or limits on how far you will go, then it is not faith. 
at all. In the message of Jesus to the church at Laodicea, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said that. At one point early in his ministry, large crowds had begun to follow Jesus. He knew that many of them were not truly his disciples, so using a bit of hyperbole to put some of them off, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, of course, it's also clear in the Bible that we should love and care for our families. So what did Jesus mean with words like these? At the very least, he meant that there is no room for half-hearted Christians or Christianity. He's saying everyone loves their family, so that's common ground. But he's saying not everyone loves me. Not everyone loves me enough to be my disciple. And when we don't love him like that, even more than our families, what is the reason? Why don't we love Jesus more? Lack of faith. I'm telling you, lack of faith is our whole problem. When you know Christ and really believe in Him, and really trust in the fact that God, your Maker, came down in the flesh to die for your sins, you will have the faith and the love to truly be His disciple. So, if you think these faith principles exemplified by our spiritual forebearers are only for super saints, think again. The writer of Hebrews is writing to the church to true believers, not to a select few who are better than the rest. No, he's writing to you, friend, and he's saying that if you want to be a person of biblical faith, then these principles are for you. Now, let's pick it up where we left off last time and work through the rest of the chapter. Principle number five, people who live out their faith do miracles. Whoa, what? Now, surely this part's not for me, is it? Yes, this part is for you, just like all the rest of it. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, but it's still higher ground than any other ground on earth. We all get to this higher ground by grace, through faith. And so in that sense, no one's better than anyone else. But what I'm trying to tell you is that nobody washed in the blood of Christ should excuse themselves from greatness. No one who's saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ should see themselves as less capable than anyone else. God is the one who makes us great. And if He is in you by faith in Christ, you have all that you need to do any miracles that God wants you to do. People who live out their faith do miracles. Looking back to our text from chapter 11, verse 32, the writer begins to sum up his long roll call of faith. After talking about so many of the great biblical heroes, he writes, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now, I just have to pause here for one moment and say that some of you are actual soldiers. Some of you are veterans. Some of you have experienced real battle, defending, defending this country by pushing back tyranny or fighting 
for the freedom and security of others. And yet here you are today, alive. You survived war. Have you ever considered that your survival may have been a miracle? Have you ever considered that through faith, God helped you do what you had to do? I understand it's a sticky subject. But I want to pause long enough to say that right here in the New Testament, God lists being mighty in war and putting foreign armies to flight as potential miracles of faith. I don't have time to spin off into a sermon about when war is right and when even violence is necessary, but some of you just need to chew on the fact that certain biblical heroes are praised for their acts of valor within the context of war. Something to think about, at least. By the way, I'm very excited about our newest ministry called Go Vets. If you are a veteran, check out the information in your bulletin and sign up for the first meeting in January. It's January 28th. It's going to be a a ministry of fellowship as well as a ministry of outreach. I see GoVets as meeting a real need, but I also see it as an effective pathway for mission accomplishment. Why didn't we think of this before? I don't know, but I'm excited about it. Now back to the text, we see several things mentioned in addition to acts of valor, such as acts of righteousness, obtaining promises, quenching fire, escaping death, and simply the idea of being made strong by God in spite of our own weakness, which is my personal favorite, by the way. But what the inspired author is saying here is that all of these people, including some who were quite small and frail and fragile in and of themselves, wound up accomplishing miracles by their faith. They did miracles because they had faith in God. So here's a question for you. Has God done any miracles through you? lately. Ponder that this week. Has God done any miracles through me lately? I'm here to say to every believer in this room, start walking by faith and God will do miracles through you. Now, you may not part the Red Sea uh, or feed 5,000 with a few loaves and fish because honestly, signs like that do not appear to be an every millennium occurrence. But if you walk by faith, you will be involved in the miracles of God. I believe that. Some will say that you were a godsend. Is that not a miracle? Think about it. Many people don't even really believe in God. Some who say they do don't really, not in a deep way. They don't think they ever see God do anything in their real lives. So what if God sends you and someone really feels that God sent you? What if God, who is supernatural, really did send you? That's a miracle. You'll find yourself making the invisible God visible to someone. You'll see the impossible become possible. People will thank God for you. Beyond this, I've seen people healed through prayer alone. Sure, sometimes God uses doctors, but I'm talking about the kind of healing where doctors scratch their heads. I've seen it happen for real. Some of you have been following the Damar uh, Hamlin story, which has transcended football by now. He's an outspoken Christian player for the NFL who was miraculously saved from death recently. And how did it happen? Why did it happen? I mean, an anchor for ESPN prayed for this guy on national television. Are you kidding me? When does that ever happen anymore? Did it make a difference? Sure seems like it. 
Millions prayed. Maybe you're one of those who prayed. And God did a miracle by all accounts. The doctors, the surgeons have testified. They can't believe he survived. And now he's home. It's a miracle. I've personally seen people overcome addictions in miraculous ways. I've seen quite a few marriages with little or no reason for hope recover. I've seen people change in ways that seemed impossible. I've known that God saved me from injury uh, and even death, like where you just blink and you say, um, what just happened? It's like a glitch in the matrix. <laughs> Anybody else ever had this happen? I probably just shot over some heads, but I'm, I'm talking about like I was, I was going to die, you know? Or be hurt really bad, and then like a three-second section uh, of the epic saga of the life of Mark Ford gets deleted. And I'm here on the other side of those three seconds. And I'm still, I'm, I'm alive, and I'm unharmed. It's weird. I've, I've, I've experienced it. Church family, I believe God saves us all the time. Earlier in the series, we talked about the, the, the fact that the idea of a guardian, guardian angel is actually biblical. God saves us. He saves the entire planet from a million of the ways it could have been destroyed every second of every day. And I even think the faith of believers is part of why he does it. Listen, I really mean this. Start living out your faith and you will begin to see miracles everywhere you go. Let me tell you one of my stories. Back when I was a young pastor <laughs> serving in Missouri, I took a team from my church down to Joplin, Joplin, Missouri, right, right after the catastrophic tornado that many of you remember hearing about. I'm just curious, straw poll, anybody remember the huge Joplin tornado? Just, that was on the news up here, right? Good. So you knew about it. Uh, it's 2012. Um, half the city was leveled. Trust me when I say you cannot imagine it. And pictures don't tell the story. We may have a couple there, but it doesn't tell the story. Joplin was sort of our Mount St. Helens, if you will. Only a lot more people died and a lot more property was destroyed. So we went down there, a group from church, to do some volunteer cleanup work in one of the hardest hit areas. And I wound up using a chainsaw quite a bit, which was actually pretty fun. At the time, I had a reasonable amount of experience with chainsaws, but let me tell you that when you think you know everything that can happen with a chainsaw, that's when you get hurt. So at one point I'm cutting a large limb that is over my head. Uh, picture, it, picture it if you can. I'm, I'm up like this. Or put your head, hands over your head if you happen to be my mother. Um, <laughs> as, I, as I get to the point where the limb is about to fall, the saw gets a little pinched, and it gets stuck most of the way through the limb. And here's where I do something very, very stupid. The saw is still idling, okay? You know, I mean, to turn it off, you have to you know, reach up and turn a switch. It's, it's still idling. The, the chain is stopped, though. So the engine's still on, but the chain is stopped. So I, I think to myself, okay, the chain is at rest, so it's safe to reach up and grab the limb with my left hand to unpinch the saw. It isn't that I didn't stop and think about what I was doing. 
I actually did. That's the embarrassing part. I thought about it carefully, <laughs> very carefully, and I thought incorrectly. Some of you see where this is going because you're not as dumb as I am. As I move the limb, it breaks away completely. What happens over here? <laughs> the saw begins to fall downward, and even as I realize it's too heavy for one hand, guess what happens to the trigger, which makes the chain go? It gets involuntarily pulled. My trigger finger is the strongest finger I have. And so hopefully you can just picture what happens when a very heavy saw is falling and I have it by one hand. I couldn't hold it and I couldn't stop from making it go. So the trigger is automatically being pulled as the saw falls toward my legs. All of this happens in about one second, folks. As the running saw gets about three inches from my legs, it falls into another limb and I'm able to release the trigger before it saws through. And I'm like, was that there before? That limb, was that there before? I don't remember seeing that. See, folks, as, as uh, we've said from verse 1 of chapter 11, faith is a way of looking at things. I mean, you can think that leg-saving branch was a coincidence if you want, but I believe and believed in the moment that God took care of me. He protected me because I trust Him with my life, and He loves me. Faith is conviction fueled by the evidence of things unseen. See, there's a lot of evidence for unseen things, and that fuels my faith. In fact, faith affects my whole perspective on things like natural disasters. I wonder how many heroes of faith there were that day that infamous storm hit Joplin. I wonder how the faith of Christians there was tested. I wonder how many of them passed the test. Some had to face eternity. It's true. I wonder if their faith was strong enough to please God all the way into heaven. I wonder if like many of our spiritual ancestors, they brought glory to God even in the way they died. I wonder how many miracles happened through the faith of those whose time had not yet come. How many prayers were answered from those who survived? How many were miraculously saved through their faith? Having seen the devastation, I'd have to say thousands were saved from death that day by God. Someone might say, but then why didn't God just prevent the storm altogether? That's another sermon. But the bottom line is that God did not create nature to always control it. This earth is on a path toward destruction, which was initiated by man's sin. And yet God's ultimate sovereignty includes a plan to redeem this earth in His timing. Until then, the curse of this place must be fulfilled. And the Bible warns us that these natural disasters um, are going to get worse before the end. So we should expect them and we should be ready for them spiritually. Our faith must be bigger than the disasters of this temporary life. Our eyes must be focused upon a better country an eternal city, one that cannot be destroyed by tornadoes or volcanoes or even by increased amounts of carbon in the air. So let me ask you this. What if you had lived through something like Joplin? Like if you had been huddled down and watching the houses being blown away around you, what part would your faith have played? Would you have been involved in any miracles? Would your faith have been big enough? Would God have worked through your faith? Faith is not a switch you can turn on when you need it, 
friends. The faith that does miracles and sees miracles is a faith that is nurtured daily. What kind of person are you? Are you a person of faith? If so, I promise that you will see miracles happen in and through your life. If you read the Bible or even just remember the words of Jesus who promised exactly this, you'll see this as a principle you can't count, that you can count on. People who live out their faith see and do miracles. The sixth principle is this. People who live out their faith endure persecution. People who live out their faith endure persecution. What is persecution? Well, it is a kind of suffering. Biblically, biblically speaking, persecution is suffering for your faith. In fact, if you've never suffered or endured pain because of your faith, you really should question whether or not you have any. Why? Because faith lived out in this world always brings persecution. Why again? Because Satan hates faith. And for now, he has power in this world, which is manifested most often through other people. Let's look at our text from verse 35. And others were tortured. He's, by the way, he's moving into New Testament times now with this. And others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. By the way, that does not mean what it usually means in this P&W, stoned. It's a different kind of stoned. They kill you with rocks? Okay. Um, they were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Interestingly, I had already written this sermon before listening to the recording of Pastor Randy's sermon which he shared last week while I was on vacation. I love it when God works things together so well that I, it grows my faith. Personally, I think God wants us to think a lot more about persecution in our churches. Why? I think you know why. Because persecution is coming, and it is already here. So at this point in our text... The inspired author starts to move from the Old Testament faithful, those of his own day. During most of the first three centuries of, uh, after Christ, Christians were persecuted in the most horrible ways imaginable, and yet the more they were put down, the more they rose up. Real faith not only endures persecution, but it actually thrives on it. Is that for me? Because I need it. Thank you. Was it for me or just, well... Thank you, sweetie. Mm. All right. Real faith not only endures persecution, but it actually thrives on it. Why is this? Well, partially because a life of ease does not make us more like Christ, nor does it grow our faith. Suffering does. Especially when that suffering is targeted specifically toward your faith. Persecution. It's like the more the suffering is related to your faith, the more it increases your faith. It's sort of like working out a specific muscle group. Let's just say you're doing curls to build your biceps. 
What are you doing to your biceps in that case? You are causing them to suffer. <laughs> and that's why your biceps are the specific muscle group that will grow in that case. Because that's where your body is taking the hit. So what if you take hits in the area of faith? It grows. Uh, we don't like thinking about it, but this is an often repeated biblical principle that we need to understand and remember. Let me put it this way. Faith is never strong until it is tested. Thankfully, God is faithful to test whatever faith we have. The Apostle Paul understood this so well in one of many places where he addresses this principle. He wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew that attaining to the power of Christ's resurrection required sharing in the fellowship of His sufferings. That is, persecution. Peter understood this as well, saying, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering." so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing His glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. That's not relevant at all today. For then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. By the way, why are we not insulted more for being Christians? I mean, really, why do you and I not suffer more for our faith in this world. Well, when is the last time you said anything about Jesus outside of church? At work, maybe. When is the last time you spoke up for God's truth and what God says about any subject at school or anywhere? I personally guarantee that if you speak the actual name of Christ in any way other than cursing, or if you speak up for God's truth on almost any topic, or heaven forbid, if you were actually to invoke Scripture in a discussion, you will endure persecution on some level. Do these things regularly, and you will quickly become an outcast, a pariah, a person to be hated. Live out your faith, and you will be persecuted. Now, believe me, I'm not trying to give anyone a license to be obnoxious. But the fact is that we don't endure persecution because most of the time we keep our mouths closed, our commitment to the Bible hidden, and our love for Christ private. Are these the acts of faith? No, they are not. Rather, they are acts of fear. Faith is always required for us to open our mouths, speak Scripture, and to share our love for Jesus. Acts of faith almost always bring persecution in this world. I love what Randy had to say last week, pointing out that things have changed, and now even in America, perhaps especially in America, Christians are seen not as any kind of answer to the problems of the world, but now we are seen as the problem itself. It's happening. Maybe it hasn't happened for everybody, but that's the direction that it's going. It's so true. And this is such a change from days gone by. Don't tell me this is nothing new. I've been alive for a while. This is new in our country, or at least it is new in terms of intensity and frequency. Take it from an old person. Honestly, I can remember a time in my life when I wondered why passages about persecution were so hard to apply to the church. 
Like when I was a teenager living in rural America, I'm not saying that we had no persecution at all. No, I, I was ridiculed for my unwillingness to go with the crowd even back then. But relatively speaking, it was easy. Today, as you know, you could lose your job. We have several people in this church who probably hang on to their jobs by a thread, particularly those who work in public institutions. Some of you even wonder if you should say more. Just take the sack. That's a tough line to walk. Let me know if you need prayer or someone to talk with about it. But just stop for a minute and realize what has happened. We are simply not allowed by this society to profess what we believe. Not without severe consequences. They will not allow it without repercussion. That's persecution, folks. That's persecution. Just ask the current superintendent of the LaCenter School District right next door. Now, I don't know whether he is a Christian or not. Don't know him, just read an article. Uh, but he faced the uh, woke mob, as some people call it, this last Tuesday at a board meeting and has been facing them since November, simply saying to his staff, hey, maybe we don't need to ask every student for their preferred pronoun. You know, like in a survey before class starts. He said, maybe we can just let them tell us if they want to tell us. And then, of course, we'll need to do what they ask, because that's like law. Uh, you can read about this in uh, the Columbian if you want, but it's all very matter of fact that obviously he couldn't or wouldn't be allowed to say, actually, we're going to stick with the pronouns and the two genders that we've assumed since the inception of language and the beginning of time. No. No, he's conceded on that. He simply said, hey, maybe we can just not ask for this information on the front end. Now, this heinous act of rebellion against the new status quo led practically to a witch hunt. They had to um, launch an investigation from an outside source. It, it, it gets a little better after that in terms of where it all wound up for now. But like I said, I don't know if this man is a Christian, but what if he is? What if that's the reason he's trying to push back ever so slightly? My dad is a retired superintendent, folks. Um, he was one of the best superintendents to ever live, obviously. <laughs> but today, uh, around here, um, there's no way my dad could keep his job. I don't think so. I don't know. What do you think, Dad? It'd be tough, wouldn't it? Um... Because he's a committed Christian, and he's not willing to compromise on biblical truth. He'd likely be fired, ultimately because he's a Christian. And that's persecution, folks. That's taking a hit because of your faith. By the way, who pays the salary of public employees? <laughs> we do. So think, think about this. What, do you still think we're the majority in our beliefs? We're, even in more rural areas, for the most part, we're not. We are a persecuted minority, more and more. By the way, who is marginalized now? Committed Christians. That's who. Just ask a, a teenager who's a strong believer in a public school if they feel marginalized. Okay, so it's not fun. But we should have expected this, right? 
Isn't the Bible clear on this? Yes, it is. In fact, I've been preaching that persecution is coming for over 20 years. Today, in 2023, persecution is not only coming, it is here. I won't theorize on all the complicated reasons things have gotten worse for us so quickly, but I will simply say it once more. If you live out your faith, persecution will come. Let me add that it's also because of your faith, proven strong through persecution, that you'll be able to endure it. Jesus even said He'd give you the words when you face whatever unfair tribunal may be in your future. Let me tack on one other thing to this point. How long before somebody decides we can no longer meet in this public building? You think it doesn't cross my mind when I say that there are only two genders? Do you think that that could ever be said in this building during the week? But we preach the Bible in this church, and Genesis 1.27 is not unclear. God made us male and female. Stepping out of that reality is sinful rebellion against the Creator, period. This is to say nothing of the doom that is coming to those who cause children to stumble. I seem to recall something about it being worse for them in the judgment than if a heavy millstone be tied around their necks and they be cast into the depths of the sea. Who said that? Jesus said that. Worse, I'm saying that because what I'm up here to do is to echo what Jesus said. And they'll have the video to prove I said it. Let's see. But if you think I should shave off the edges to keep the world happy, you've got the wrong church and the wrong pastor. I've said a lot before, by the way, about how the world is not our enemy. I don't have time to do a subsection here. But the world is not our enemy. They're just behaving the way the world's going to behave. And we know it's coming. We, I'm talking about our faith and how we endure it, how we face it. We need to get serious as a church fairly soon about raising the ridiculous amount of money that's going to be required to buy land and build a building. I mean, realistically, how long? The time is coming when all of us are going to need to sacrifice for real. If our own place to meet where we can't be kicked to the curb is ever going to become a reality. I'll tell you what else, church, we're going to need that miracle that comes through faith. We're going to need somebody to give like a million dollars. I don't know that person yet. Uh, we're going to need someone to give us property or something that's far beyond our ability. Take it from me because I've really looked into this and I've moved beyond pie in the sky thinking. It's far more complicated than you might imagine. If you think we can just buy a cheap field somewhere out in the country and build a church on it, you're mistaken. It doesn't work like that. Take it from several churches who've experienced this right here in this area. It's very easy to buy land and go through a several year process only to find out you can't build on it. The short answer is that we likely will need land inside the city that's already zoned appropriately, which seems almost impossible. Take it from somebody who's been looking into it for years. We will need two things. One, a miracle from God. And two, a church body that digs deep and sacrifices heavily. 
for many complicated reasons, starting with that fact that we are in Ridgefield. <laughs> That's just what it's going to take. So please start praying about your part in all of that. All right, let's move on to our seventh and final principle, faith principle. Number seven, people who live out their faith join a prestigious family. After mentioning the best-known heroes of our faith, covering a historical period of around 4,000 years, the writer of Hebrews says in verse 39, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us they would not be made perfect. What on earth does this mean? It means that God didn't end the story. He didn't bring uh, heaven on down earlier for them while they were still around. He didn't end the story or the list with the people mentioned so far because He had made room for more. The word perfect here is meant to convey the idea of completion. The inspired author is saying that the roll call of faith will not be complete until the end. What this means for you is this, God wanted your name to make the list. That's exactly what this means. God wanted my name to make the list. In fact, through Christ, who is the better way, that better way we've been talking about in this series, of which we now partake, God wanted perhaps millions more to make the list. What list? The list of those who gained approval through their faith. What a privilege to potentially be numbered with such a prestigious company as these we have been reading about, to be counted among those who exemplified faith so well as to be written about, to actually be a part of the great cloud of witnesses as they are called in the very next chapter. What an honor to be a member of the same spiritual family as the likes of Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the apostles. Can you believe you could be counted with them? Believe it. Jesus died and has waited to return so that you could make the list complete. I think also this is a reference more generally to all of those who would be brought in after Christ. In other words, this is a reference to the church. Those who have believed with more information, who have been able to trust in Christ specifically, knowing more precisely who He is and exactly what He did for us because we came after His time on earth. We, the church, make the roll call of faith complete. Maybe somebody's thinking, I just wish... I wish I had more faith. Maybe then, maybe then I could really be counted with the folks we've been reading about, but right now I just can't see that. Listen, faith is not so much something to be had or something to be measured. Rather, it is something to be lived. Walk by faith, the Bible says. God never said feel by faith. He never said you need to feel like a person who has a superhero kind of faith, but he did say you need to walk out your faith day in and day out in the ways that he has planned for you. So am I saying you, you earn a spot on the list or that you can work your way onto the list? No, you can't. What am I saying? I am encouraging to act, you to actually live out your faith in Christ in real ways and that as you do, you will begin to see the truth, perhaps especially toward the end of your life that you really are counted with these heroes who have gone before. But let's get real as I close. How many times do you and I squelch our faith in the unseen because of what we see? I'm afraid that most of us choose not to trust God most of the time. 
even though he is there giving us that spark in our spirit. We reject it. We don't live it out. We don't act on it most days, probably most of us. We choose worry over faith. We choose anxiety over faith. We choose fear over faith. We choose timidity over faith. We choose selfishness over faith. We choose greed over faith. We choose the status quo over faith. We choose mediocrity over faith. We choose short-sightedness over faith. I'm here to say that if you want to experience the seven faith principles exemplified by our spiritual heroes, our forebearers, and thereby also experience the joy of being counted in their company, you need to start choosing faith in real ways instead of these other things. Your faith has to be real if it is going to feel real. It has to be lived out. We can apply this all the way through each of the seven principles. Choose faith when it's hard. Choose to trust when you just can't see a way out. Choose to risk it when failure seems likely. Choose to obey, to live it out, to act on your faith. This is what the people we've been reading about did. It's what set them apart. This is why they serve as examples to us still today. So let's pray together in just a moment. Let's ask God in our hearts for more faith as a church because I don't want just another, I don't want just another mediocre church. Do you? I didn't start this church just be another lukewarm church. No, I want a church full of people who someone might write about someday. I want a church full of people who make the list and not just a, a literal like saved sense, but in the sense of being people who are an example of faith to others. I want Go Church, the people of this church, to set the example of faith for churches in this region. I want us to exemplify faith, don't you? To exemplify faith. Don't you want to be an example of faith to your kids, um, to your future kids, to your grandchildren? Maybe you need to be an example to your parents. Sometimes it goes both ways. Ask yourself today, would anyone ever put my name on a list of those who lived by faith in God? If not, why not? Let's pray and ask God to help us to become what He says we can become. People the world is not worthy of. People of faith. Pray with me. Father, we need Your help. We already have it. Help us to believe. Help us to stop being mediocre even in our thinking about who we are and who we can become. Help us to believe that you want us to do great things, things that matter, things that grow your kingdom, things that could be written about, things that are uh, of note. Every single believer, you have planned for us things from before time your word says we're your masterpiece and you have good works planned for us to do. I really do believe that so many times it's lack of faith. First of all, in you and second of all, even in some ways in ourselves in terms of what you can do through us. Help us to learn to believe and to risk it, to obey the hard things. To, to attempt great things for you and expect great things from you, just to live a life of faith, to be the kind of person we read about. Because with your Holy Spirit, as believers, as people who have trusted in Christ, we can be that kind of person. 
I pray you just revive your church, Lord, today, not even beyond our own church. The church today in America, so much of it is that Laodicean church, I'm afraid. I don't know where we're at in the process or if some have been spit out already. I don't know. I know that we have something here that you're doing that you've built from the ground up and we want to walk in the kind of faith that makes us a kind of church, whether it's measured in the same measurements that we've measured it as people or not. We want to see miracles. We want to see lives changed. We want to see your kingdom expand. We want to see whatever you want to see. So we surrender today as individuals to more faith in what you want to do in our lives and to trusting you enough to see things through, to walk it out, and to be the kind of people we've been reading about. God, I pray right now for people in the room who maybe have never put their trust in you in the first place. They've never had that eternal kind, that spiritual kind of salvation because they've never had that moment of repentance and belief where there's a turning away, where there's a, a, a being born again, a moment of I'm, I need Jesus, I need to be washed by his blood, I need forgiveness, I need God save me. Just crying out even like the criminal on the cross, just it, we've, some have never had that moment. And I pray today that maybe someone would just surrender to you and what you want to do. I believe you want to save them. I pray that this person would surrender to you right now and say yes to Jesus, save me. I don't know what all it means, uh, but I know that I'm, I'm signing up for a whole new life and I, I just need him to make me who he wants me to be. I'll just put my trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and that he rose again, that he's God and just take my life and Help me be what you created to me, me to be, God. And I pray for any person that has uh, made that decision recently or today that they would um, understand it. It, it. it may be personal, but it can't be private. We all need help. We all need guidance. What's next? So I pray that help. Just let us know and, and make that profession. Well, your word says that if we believe in our heart, yes, but it also says if we confess with our mouth. Jesus is Lord, and believe that you raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. Thank you, Lord, for all the work that you've done. Keep working in our church in 2023. I pray we see miracles. Whatever you want to do, we surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.